For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele entitled, The Problem of Pain. Mr. Steele. Thank you, Reg. The inside joke he was talking about before was for me. We'll understand it better by and by. He used to do that every time I speak, so <laughs> I guess he's brought it back. So before I get into this uh, very difficult topic, um, I guess I probably should apologize because it is such a challenging subject to dig into that I'm, I'm sure I'm hardly going to even scratch the surface or do it justice. Um, this is an enormous topic that has all kinds of ramifications in every facet of our lives, in, in personally and in spiritually, in, in church life, in the life of the world, and especially in some of the things that Curtis was talking about in the, in the troubles that are in our country and in our society, that this problem of pain when I was trying to think of an introduction, though, I was reminded of a time Renee told me um, she observed a father here in our congregation one time correcting his son. And it involved a swat on the behind for whatever it was he was doing. And the son very, um, I suppose, obstinately replied, well, Daddy, you hurt my feelings. And the father said, it wasn't your feelings I was trying to hurt. Pain is part of life, isn't it? Uh, we're born in pain. Uh, believe it or not, we caused our mother's pain when we got here. The whole world is born out of pain. There's pain in, in every facet of life, in human life, in animal life. Uh, we deal with pain on a regular basis. Pain is not always bad. I don't know if you've thought about that, but... You know, we have these nervous systems. We have nerves in our, in our flesh, and they inform us when we're about to put our hand on something that's too hot. And we can feel that heat, and it gets hotter and hotter, and eventually it will burn us. And that nervous system, that process of pain, alerts us, and we move away from it. So pain is a useful tool. Pain is around us all the time. But it seems to me we as Christians have big problems with pain. And this is probably just born out of human nature. But lots of times in Christianity we try and find a resolution, a, a solution to pain and why there is pain in the world. Specifically in the context of if there is a loving God then why is there pain? in the world? I won't be able to answer all of that question. I don't think anybody has answered all of that question. And the resources that I'm going to bring today are just a small slice of a snippet of an attempt to answer that question. But what we do know about pain is that we oftentimes have a misunderstanding of it. And certainly, as Christians, we have a misunderstanding of it. In fact, to the point that we have entire Christian denominations 
that have built a concept around la 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 la, there's no pain, right? It is the prosperity doctrine, right? Well, if you're right with God, if you're faithful, you're doing X, Y, Z, and you're praying, and you're tithing, and you're doing all of these things, well, then you won't have pain. And if you have pain, well, brother, what's wrong with you, right? And so we have these false doctrines, misunderstandings at best about pain. Instead of recognizing the failures of our approach to pain. We, and I say we and the larger Christian community sometimes have immersed ourselves in this netherland of untruth, prosperity doctrines, the name and the claim it notions, ideas that claim that our faith is the only deciding factor on whether we are blessed, whether we have a prosperous life, and whether we are free from pain. Yet all the while we know this is just not true. It is just not true. And yet, even for those of us that recognize this, we still fall into this trap. We can still easily fall into this trap when something very painful happens to us. We can be surprised. But God, what have I done to deserve this? And you know, sometimes we do things to deserve it, don't we? Well, that was a silly thing to do with the uh, chainsaw or whatever it may be. We can. We can bring about circumstances. Accidental, deliberate, willful, whatever it may be. But there is so much in life that has nothing to do with this at all. But it's still painful. So what is this all about? What, do we, what, what is the problem of pain? For Christians, like I say, it's easy to fall into this. If we're faithful, if we're dedicated, we'll be blessed by God. We won't experience pain. Or maybe we'll experience less pain. And that's true. We will be blessed by God. But we sometimes confuse blessing with immunity. Right? We confuse blessing with immunity. That we're going to get this inoculation by righteous acts and by following certain principles and we're going to therefore be immune. We confuse divine protection with invulnerability. And again, if we dig deep, we know that that's not true. And yet on the surface, perhaps, we start to think that God would shield us from everything. That he would always keep us safe, healthy, secure. Almost as though that we're worshiping the God of um, Bruce Almighty, right? Do you remember Bruce Almighty? Do you ever see that pretty irreverent movie? <laughs> At one point, God decides, okay, Bruce, it's all up to you. Transfers all of his powers, and this, this mere mortal now has to decide on all the prayer requests that are going up to God. And at first, he decides, okay, how am I going to handle all of these, and what does he do? He converts them all into post-it notes. And the entire building that he's in is covered with post-it notes everywhere. Well, that's not going to work. So then he converts them all to emails. Control A, select all, yes. And then the whole world is thrown into chaos. Everyone wins the lottery and gets like 50 cents each. You know, there's just, there's 
war and there's not war and there's the, you know, and something about the moon was closer to the planet and whatever else. It's almost as though we want a God that's like that, don't we? Just say yes to everything that we have, and yet we wouldn't do that to our children. So why do we think that he would do that to his? God is not the God of Bruce Almighty. Yet, through our faith, through our prayers, through our intercession, our loved ones, well, they'll always be safe. They'll always be healthy. Our children will be free from challenges or infirmities or trouble, whatever it may be. We desperately want that. But that's not how the world works. We can be deceived into thinking that God will answer those prayers for healing and intervention every time we ask. And by that I mean that he will grant the request because he will always give an answer. I believe that but he will not always grant what we ask for. I had to tell my son no this morning because he wanted to buy an airplane on this game that he he plays as we're leaving for church. And that's just not going to work today, son. But we'll do that later. And he was disappointed, and I understand. But sometimes God cannot always say yes. We think perhaps that our lives will be blessed, protected, free of pain because of all, all be, albeit flawed faithfulness. But then we're still left with the problem of pain, aren't we? We're still left with the problem of pain in the night watches when we can't sleep and when we're troubled about something or someone or a pain, a physical pain, an emotional pain, whatever it may be. We are still left with this problem of pain and sickness and loss and the pain of fear. Mental pain, spiritual pain. When we arrive at this point, we can be shaken. And I think it's important for us to be honest that we can be shaken and that we are shaken. And perhaps, part of the reason for the pain. Not to remove our faith, but maybe to shake some things up a little bit. Who knows? But we can be troubled to our core. Some can lose heart. And we've seen some lose heart. And more than that, we can begin to lose our trust lose our faith in God, start to blame him for not keeping promises that he never made to us in the first place. So this is not a new challenge. You know, this challenge has been going on from time immemorial. You look at every pagan religion of the ages, and everything is to do with appease the God so that he will deliver us give us our our needs, and deliver us from pain and hardship that is evident on the earth. And so we have this challenge, this problem of pain. And even though we as Christians shouldn't have that same attitude, it is in our DNA. We are human. And it creeps in. 
Who wants to have pain? Who would choose to have pain? Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes the treatment, right, the cure is painful, but it, it saves us. So there are circumstances when we choose that pain. But certainly we don't want just random torture. We don't want to be in pain. None of us would choose it if we could choose something else. But it forces us, this pain forces us to look at ourselves, to look at this deception of how we handle pain. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis makes a very powerful point about pain that is, it's really resonated with me. And it's a very short passage, a very short line, in fact. He says, every man knows that something is wrong when he is being hurt. Think about that. We know something is wrong when we're being hurt, when we're in that pain. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, if we're clumsy and we, we're working with a tool and we cut ourselves, we feel it. And that pain says, that's a problem here. You've, you've just cut part of your body. Let's see how bad that is. And we look at it and we look, okay, do we, what do we need to do to this? We're, we're wounded now. Is it just a scratch or is it a deep wound? Do we need to, to suture it? Do we need to treat it? Do we need to protect it and cover it? so that that pain doesn't get worse, so that the, the circumstance doesn't evolve and, and, and bring about more pain. So pain is a signal to us that something is wrong. Something is wrong. We have got to pay attention to this pain. What about those spiritual pains? Are they also symbols, signals that something is wrong? That there's a problem. We're hurting because there's a problem. And when those spiritual pains come, they're telling us there's something wrong and we need to look at it just like we would a physical wound. That we need to apply some treatment to it that we need to see what the cause was and how deep it goes and what we can do about that pain. Now, we know there are many scriptures in the Bible that talk about pain, that, that talk about turmoil and spiritual pain and anxiety and fear and all of these things that can come on us. And Psalms, you know, David had a pretty painful life, so he wrote a, a number of them. But the one I want to look at is in Psalms 116, beginning in verse 1. And the more I looked at this, the more I realized that there were several layers to this and, and several different kinds of sorrows and pain that, that we could either be delivered from or endure. And you'll notice that in your Bible, that you might have a subheading that says, Thanksgiving for deliverance from death. And I find this an interesting passage because I think there's three meanings in here. I think there's three inferences that we can take about pain, about its influence. 
Verse 1, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Now, by that very first verse, you can tell something important. He's writing this after this period of pain or sorrow is finished. And the reason I can say that with relative confidence is because lots of times when we're in pain, we don't feel that. We feel perhaps that we're praying to the empty air, right? Because we're in pain and we're in sorrow and then we trust and we have faith that God has heard us. Sometimes it feels like we're just talking to the moon. And yet he has heard us. And we see that at the end of it. We recognize it once we've been through it. Because he has inclined his ear to me, he says, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid a hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears and my feet from, from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of of all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So it's like a journey that, that the psalmist has taken through this painful experience. But you can read it in one eye and say, okay, he was delivered from death. Because you, you kind of get that out of it. And the pain of death. But then you can also read it and say, well, wait a second. Why does he refer to the death of the saint? And how beautiful that is. Because there's another way to be delivered from, the death, from death, isn't there? To go through it and be resurrected again to life eternal. That is a deliverance from death forevermore. The first resurrection. But then there's another element in there that I think you can see. Which is when we go through the pain and suffering of the death of a loved one. Because there's a delivery from that pain of death, too. And in many ways, that's worse. Those that have gone are in no more pain. Huh? The dead know nothing. There's no more pain and sorrow in the grave. 
And those that are resurrected, well, the joy will erase the memory of the pain. But it's rather for us that have to endure the loss of that loved one, that have to go through this pain, that we need a spiritual guidance and that we need to understand the problem of pain in our lives and what it's really doing in our lives. The psalmist has come through this period of anguish, of deep sorrow, and then he, he's almost, he's returned back to God. Did you notice that? And yet there's no implication at all that God ever went away. It's all about his reaction and relation to God. That he went away from God. That he got angry, he got upset, he got fearful, enveloped in this pain. And so we too will experience that and do experience that. But more than anything else, the loss of a loved one is probably the deepest pain we'll ever experience. It brings a terrible pain. A pain that Lewis pointed out reminds us that there is something wrong. And you might recoil with that statement. It's like, well, okay, tell us something we don't know, Matt. We're well aware of the, the pain of death in this world. It's pretty obvious. I mean, I just don't even want to look at the news anymore because every day it's there. So it is obvious. But there's a difference between knowing it and experiencing it, isn't it? Really understanding it. There's a difference between knowing and seeing, knowing and experiencing. And we get that answer from Job the man that was most tortured. Job chapter 42 and verse 1. He says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I, I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. A real revelation of God. And the terrible hardship that he went through to get to that point. I mean, I would like to ask that I not go through that hardship so I can get to that point. Who would choose that pain? And perhaps that's why we have this scripture. So we don't have to endure, perhaps, the same journey that, that Job went through to understand and to, to grapple with the problem of pain. He says, therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. We can know something intellectually, but to experience it is completely different. And that's what we, did, we experience in life when we experience pain. I've been ignorant of this at times. We all have. As we grow and mature and things happen in life and disappointments and challenges and pain and loss, and we start to learn from those things. We start to learn from pain. 
I've been made to understand more of what God is doing with me and doing with us through pain. The pain that we enjoy in this life is to remind us there's something wrong, not just superficial, not just intellectually, but deeper. There's something wrong. And I think there's a corollary with what Romans, what Paul says to the Romans in chapter 7 and verse 7. To kind of the same logic, he says, What shall I say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the Lord had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. So for us, in our study right now, pain is as the commandment did. And what's wrong in the world, the thing that the pain is telling us is wrong, is sin. It's the same thing as what the commandments show us is sin. Not necessarily the sin of the individual, but it can be. But the sin that is in this world, that is endemic to this world, everywhere in this world, and it's brought about by the kind of world that we're in. And sin brings us that pain. The sin that has brought suffering and death. And we are rudely reminded of it. You know, I sometimes comment that I live in a bubble. And something will come out of life or the experience of others. And just, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know people did that to themselves. Pain does that. It grabs a hold of us, wakes us up, and says, hey, there's a problem here. There's a problem. But God doesn't just leave us here suffering. And we can be grateful for that. I mean, if he just left us in this world, the notion that God just created this world, left us to it, and went off somewhere, why would you continue in this world if we had that kind of God? Even in the midst of pain, we find joy and pleasure but not if we don't endure. Endurance is very important in pain management. Endurance is critical for pain management. And if we don't look to that wound, that spiritual wound, and if we don't have the patience to let some healing take place. And I think about this in terms of the physical wound. Several years ago, um, I got a brown recluse bite, and it was on my foot, and I had an open wound for about six months or so. It just wouldn't heal. And then finally, a doctor at the college I was working at gave me the magic solution, and in about five days, it was healed. 
But ever since then, if I get a cut or a big scrape, it doesn't, it doesn't heal properly. It doesn't matter where it is, not just on my feet. It's anywhere on my body, and, and I don't know what the correlation is. But I get kind of eczema, and it stays open and wounded for a long time. It doesn't even bleed properly sometimes. So I have to treat that, and I have to have patience with it. And I have to have a lot more patience with it because it gets eczema-like, and that gets really itchy. You want to just, you know, scratch at it, take away that itch and that irritant. But instead of treating it as a wound and enduring what it's bringing about, which is pain and inflammation and, and irritation, and then allowing that treatment, whatever I'm using, to heal it and for my body to heal. So we must have this patience. And I think that's the kind of patience that James is talking about in chapter 1 and verse 2. My, my brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let's patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, made whole, lacking nothing, not being wounded and damaged, but having patience. Patience with that pain. Patience with the trial. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally uh, to, to all and without reproach. But what wisdom are you lacking? How to treat the wound. How to treat that pain. And if so often, especially us guys, we'll just, we'll just, I'll just tough it out. Right? I'll just man up. And I'll deal with the pain. Well, that's not dealing with anything. That's just pretending like it didn't hurt. It's just a flesh wound is the, uh, the quote that I have heard a lot. That's not how we get healed. We find the appropriate bomb, the appropriate solution, the appropriate medical thing, and in our case, in the spiritual thing, and we apply that. If we lack the wisdom to know what that, that healing solve is for pain, ask God. Ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. He's not going to say, what's wrong with you? You're a guy. Tough it out. And the same is true for ladies. He's not going to reproach us. He's going to give us the knowledge that we need, the things that we need, the spirit, his spirit, of healing that we need. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Kind of like, oh, well, I'll try this. Oh, no, that didn't work. I'll try this. And we get into what Curtis was talking about with trying to find things to support us. I think he referenced substance abuse and alcohol or whatever it may be to self-medicate. That's not the kind of healing that we need. We have to produce that patience. And it seems almost to me that it's an all or nothing prospect. As we endure pain, we have to do it with patience. Or 
guess we can just give up. The testing of our faith through pain will produce patience or it won't. Maybe depending on how courageously we believe God that he will help us in that. James says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. And I would also add to that pain. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to, to those who love him. So we have to endure that temptation. And yet, all the while, we long for a world free from pain. We just want a world to be free from pain. Free from the worry of pain. Free from the worry that something's going to happen to our, our kids, our wife, our husband, our family. We want to be free from that pain. Free from trials. And that is part of the point of why we need to see that the world has something wrong with it. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment he has scattered broadcast. We are never safe, but we have plenty of fun. We do, don't we? I mean, people go to amusement parks so they can get scared out of their minds on these rides and stuff. And it, it, it's, it's an odd psychological thing. I don't really understand it. I don't like them. <laughs> and it, there's almost a, a, a joy in, in risking a little bit and then being safe. We're never safe, but we do have plenty of fun. Even ecstasy. It's not hard to see why. The security we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and pose an obstacle to our return to God. He can't let us be free from pain. Because then we'd be just at home here. This world would be fine. And he's like, fine, you haven't even started. You don't even know what is beyond this world and what I have planned for you. This is such a limiting period of time. He says, a few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with our friends, a bath, or a soccer match, have no such tendency. Those fleeting moments of fun and enjoyment. He, he gives us those, liberally. And we should accept those and, and enjoy those, even in our pain. But they are not the same thing. That's what he goes on to say. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inn, some pleasant hotel stays. Refreshes us on the journey, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Pain reminds us this is not our home. And if we don't recognize that, then we, we lose a tremendous amount of truth. 
that God is trying to reveal to us. And I just really love Lewis's insight into this, that we are on a journey and that we, we travel together. And w- when we stop and we meet together, we're like a, f- a refreshing, pleasant inn where we get some rest and rejuvenation and enjoyment from one another. But we can't stop there. We have to move on. We move on to the next point in our journey. If we never left the inns, our spiritual journey wouldn't get to its final glorious conclusion. We wouldn't get to our ultimate destiny. And this is something we celebrate every year at the feast. And that's good that we do. That we recognize this world is not our home. Pain in this world forces us to recognize that. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 and verse 13, all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, They would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Pain reminds us that there's something wrong with this world, and we shouldn't want to be here in this world. That there is sin in the world, and that sin causes this pain and that this world is not our home. But there's also another aspect to this. And I'm finally starting to understand, I think, what Lewis was was talking about in it. And it's revealed through pain, again, but it's, it's a slightly different view of it. And in the middle of it is joy. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1, it's, you know, it's, it's a little out of context, but we can get some truths from this. In verse uh, 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the Lord saying, from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, the potter, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again into another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make. And he goes on to talk about how Israel is is the clay and that God is, is the potter. But this is a good analogy for us too. This is helps us to understand how God uses pain and a reminder to us of what he is doing with us. You know, the potter is, is working on that clay. He's, he's building it into a pot, and oh, he, he kind of makes a mistake. And I'm not saying God makes a mistake. I think we make plenty of them for him and mar our own pot. And so what does the potter do? Mashes it down again, adds a little bit more water, and starts again. How good would that feel to be clay? I mean, the whole process is painful. You were taken from your natural state, stretched, 
molded, pushed, shaped. Oh, that didn't work. Splat. And start it again. Why does he do that? He's the potter. We're the clay. Have you ever asked that? Have you ever asked, what are you doing to me, God? What are you doing to me? Because the Apostle Paul says, uh, we shouldn't ask that question. I don't think God minds that we ask that question. But in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, he says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to it, uh, to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Or to just mash it down and start again? Yes, he does. And that's painful. And it's hard for us to see the nuance in every painful circumstance that we have in life and say, well, that's, that's God just working with me, the pot. Shaping us again. But we are. We are that clay. And he is shaping us. Pain reminds us that there's something wrong with the world. That this is not our home. And that we are the work of his hands. Not the other way around. Curtis talked about that earlier. That man would just build some kind of idol. And say that that's their God. Well, that isn't the real God. We can't build him. He makes us. And we are the work of his hands. He is forming us into what he wants us to be. And why would we even try to limit him? Okay, that's enough. That's enough. I'm a good pot now. He's like, you have no idea what I have prepared for you. Let me finish. Why would we even try and limit what he is trying to do in us? Again, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, we are not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art. Something that God is making. And therefore, something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. Here again, we come up against what I have called the intolerable compliment. Over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even though it's not exactly what he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves, though in a different fashion, as intently as a man loves a woman, or as a, a mother, a child, he will take endless trouble and would doubtless thereby give endless trouble to the pitcher if it were sentient. One can imagine a sentient pitcher after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing that it was only a thumbnail sketch that was made in over a minute. In the same way, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed for us a less glorious 
and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. And we want more love from God. We just sometimes confuse it with kindness because he's not always kind. He sometimes has to scrape and reshape us and mash us down and build us again into what he wants us to be. But God does love us. He loved us firstly to make us. He made us to love us. And then when we rebelled and we went against him, he loved us still, again, more giving the only son that he had for us. He gave all that he had for us. Ephesians chapter 4, I mean chapter 2 and verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How does he do that? How does God show this exceeding riches in the ages to come? What does that look like? I've got an image of a gallery. An image of a gallery filled with the work of the master craftsman. And he's showing his mercy and his, his richness in each one of our lives. Because we are the pieces in that gallery. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think Lewis is right. God is making us all into masterpieces. And we mistake the fact that we're all hanging out here together as the gallery in which we'll find our home. In truth, we're still in his workshop. If we're here, we're still in his workshop. The pieces we are next to in life are our loved ones, our friends and our family, in various stages of completion. But one by one, we are all finished at different times and according to the master's plan. And when finished, we are taken away for a while we are put on a shelf and we are stored safely. But then, when we are all complete, when the master has completed every one of us, we're finally put on display in the gallery of the kingdom. In that beautiful gallery. Beautiful and glorious and all, every single one of us, reflection of the master's hand. And then I suspect that every single one of us will be glad for all the pain.